0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 56? We'll just do a short study tonight. We're going to look at a very important spiritual principle that kind of fits in with what we just prayed about. How do we have victory in times of difficulty? You know, life throws a lot of challenges at us. Um, None is more intense than spiritual attack, right? Spiritual opposition. We know the the heartache and the pain of that and the pressure of that but there are also times when our situations are rough and when people around us are harsh or hurt us and the question becomes in in each of those circumstances how do we respond how do we respond when spiritual opposition is strong does that draw us closer to the lord does it give us a greater fervency to get into his presence and to be in his word and to call on his name, or or do we fall back into fear and worry and self-sufficiency and kind of negate the strength that he wants to give us because we're trying to still manage it? And when people and circumstances are difficult, are we confident in the Lord's authority and the fact that he will handle those situations and vengeance is his? Or or do we react with our emotions? Do we start to buy into the lie that the devil tells us that it's not going to be okay, that it's not going to work out, that, that this is unfair? Well, the Bible certainly teaches us what's right, but the Spirit also gives us very clear examples on both sides of the um, emotional and spiritual coin we have people like Jacobed and moses and abraham and elijah and peter but i believe of all the people in the bible outside of jesus um, who can give us insight that david's at the top of the list because david experienced a plethora of experiences He experienced uh, so many different things that challenged him. And not only did he experience them, not only can we look at chapter after chapter after chapter of scripture about his life, but he also wrote about much of it. And the Psalms really are an incredible resource for us because um, the emotions in Psalms are raw, aren't they? They're very raw real they're very visible he doesn't he doesn't hold back and just kind of couch it in nice spiritual terms david david lets it all loose he doesn't hold back he says exactly what he's feeling in his heart and even when he's frustrated with the Lord, and we know that, that in those words, sometimes they're very short-sighted and very um, lacking in faith, we connect with those. That's why uh, when we are struggling, when we're in trial, a lot of times we run to Psalms because that speaks our language. It, it says what we're feeling. And whether it's David or Asaph or one of the other writers of the Psalms, some of them are, are um, uncategorized. We, we need to come back to an understanding of strength and sufficiency in the Lord. Now, so there may be Psalms that you have that are your favorites, right? I know I can, I can list without even looking some of the ones that are my favorites. Psalm 16, Psalm 34, Psalm 37, Psalm 46, Psalm 86. Th- these are Psalms that I go to in times where I'm just like, ugh, life's got me or I'm in warfare, or, or I'm struggling. I go to those, and, and, and those are refreshing. They're like cool water on a hot day. Well, I may need to add Psalm 56 to the list because it shows a great contrast between having the wrong focus, okay? The wrong focus is always focus on self. And the difference between having the wrong focus, which is on self, and having the right focus, which is on the Lord alone. Now, let me give you a little background on this psalm because it's very important to the study. David, at this point, is running from Saul. He's been anointed as king by Samuel, but Saul doesn't want to accept that because Saul is living away from the Lord. He's in sin. He's in rebellion. His heart is full of pride. He's not following the Lord. So he starts to chase David, and David, at one point, runs to the Philistines to hide. Ironically, he goes to Gath. Uh, you know that Gath from our study a couple weeks ago was the home of Goliath. So ironically, David runs to enemy territory and he's not really thinking, he just knows he needs to get away. He's so desperate that he forgets that the Philistines are still pretty ticked to David. So he runs to Gath, and this is recorded. You can look at it later in, in 1 Samuel 21. And what's interesting in that text is when we see David run to to Achish, who was the king of Gath, that that there's no record in 1 Samuel 21 of him seeking the Lord before he does it. Instead, he just runs there, and, and he's scared of the king. He's scared of being there. But he decides that this will be the best course of action. And because he knows that his reputation precedes him, he disguises himself and he literally acts like he's insane. He starts writing on the gates of the city and he allows the spit from his mouth to kind of go down into his beard. He looks like a a homeless guy and he's just wandered around kind of incoherently looking a mess. Not the anointed king of Israel. This is somebody that's trying to disguise himself. Because instead of really seeking the Lord, David tried to find a solution that was less than ideal. And it didn't really work for him. And a couple chapters later in 1 Samuel 23, and again you can read these chapters later, David thinks about the opposition of the enemy on both sides, the spiritual warfare and the personal warfare. And he realizes that all he needs is the Lord. And in chapter 23, the first three verses, it says twice, And David inquired of the Lord. There's a breakthrough in terms of his heart that instead of trying to do it myself, I need to go to the presence of the Lord. Now, during the whole ordeal, David knew the emotional and physical and spiritual pressure of opposition. And he writes during that time, Psalm 56. Okay? So let's read what he says. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. You've taken into account my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I've put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you've delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Now, notice that as his enemies fight against him, verses 1 and 2, that David says he feels trampled and afraid now we may not feel that militarily and politically like david does but many times we feel that physically and relationally and certainly if we're walking with the lord we feel it spiritually and the best words i can kind of come up with to relate to that of being trampled on is feeling run down anybody ever feel run down spiritual warfare runs you down And you feel run down by life and run down by responsibilities and by dysfunctional relationships and by work and financial pressures. And pretty soon, that feeling of being trampled on, that strong word that David uses, that starts to become very real. So we need to see this passage from a spiritual and a personal perspective, even though those two are linked. Because the issues of spiritual opposition and difficult Personal situations can become very huge stressors for us, and they can cause us to feel emotions that range anywhere from discouraged to defeated to disillusioned to debilitated. We can just be discouraged and kind of down, or that can become worse, and we can feel very frustrated and defeated, or we can start to get angry with the Lord and and irritated that he's allowing it, and then pretty soon we just become paralyzed. And, of course, the enemy exacerbates those emotions because he wants us to feel overwhelmed. He wants us to feel that we are going to live in fear instead of walking by faith. So how do we respond? That's kind of the key question tonight. How do we respond to this? What is our our real default? Not what we want it to be. Not when when I'm under pressure, when I'm in a spiritual opposition, when I'm when I'm facing great pressure and great heartache and great trial. Not not what do I want my reaction to be, but what is the actual reality? Think about all the way down to the <coughs> excuse me, the subtleties and the. The nuances of our emotions and our attitude and how we treat the people around us, how frustrated we get, how angry we get. Now, David knew that full range of emotions. And if we read through the Psalms, and I just in the last couple weeks have read through all the Psalms, and I was amazed by by the variety of emotions and the thoughts and the spiritual reactions that David had, both good and bad in his life. So he's speaking here. Look at 56. He's speaking for firsthand knowledge. He's having assessed the value of each kind of response to difficulty and opposition. And look at his conclusion. The great conclusion of this chapter is in verse 3 where he says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Now, don't glide past that. Don't, don't say in your heart, because this is what the devil wants us to say. Well, of course he's going to say that. Of course we're going to talk about when we are struggling, we need to trust the Lord. Because we need to ask ourselves, is verse 3 the unwavering, non-negotiable determination of my heart and mind when I'm in those situations? Or is there some flex there? Am I, do, I, do I kind of just say, well, I want to trust the Lord, and I know I should trust the Lord, but I'm going to hold back a little bit. See, the only answer to fear is full dependence on the Lord. Anything short of that makes us weak, worried, helpless, overwhelmed, pessimistic, uh, concerned, Prayerless, weak in our faith, restless, looking for other solutions, spiritually anemic. Anything less than full faith makes us that way. But what does Isaiah 40 say? Those who trust the Lord will what? Renew their strength. They will be stronger. They will be more confident. They will be more hopeful. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Which one's better, to be hopeless and helpless and discouraged and defeated and overwhelmed and worried and weak and concerned and prayerless and faithless, or to walk in security and confidence? It's really not a contest, right? It's not even even a choice. So what robs us of that? Because if David can't live, look at verse 3, if he can't live in verse 3, He's never going to get to the boldness and perspective of verses 4 to 7. And he certainly will never get to the, to the uh, confidence and help of God's deliverance in verses 8 to 13. Notice tonight, I want you to see this, it, it, that trusting in the Lord gives us wisdom. Trusting in the Lord gives us perspective. David is able to see beyond his fears and his emotional turmoil in the first section of this psalm and to know with certainty that ultimately man has no power over us because the Lord is our strength and our shield and he's our very present help in time of trouble. Now that's important to remember because we are going to face verses 5 to 7. Look at how he describes it. People are distorting the truth of my words. They're having evil thoughts and intents against me. They're attacking. They're lurking. They're watching what I'm doing. They're plotting against me. They even want to take our lives. And in David's case, that was literal. In our case, it's not so much literal as metaphorical. There are times maybe we go through situations where and, and maybe you've been through them in a in a relationship or a workplace situation or or even a church where you where you go, I feel like these people are trying to destroy me. And you're under attack, and you you come to the place where you almost feel like, I I feel like I'm dying. Not literally, but I'm just, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so beaten by this, that I feel like I'm losing my life. Look at what David says. He says, even in the middle of this, the Lord's there. And in verse 7, he says, he will fight their wickedness, and he will put them down Because in verse 9, oh, if you underline your Bible, write those last five words of verse 9. He says, God is for me. There's a very distinctive shift. As I studied this text, it's a very distinctive shift where David goes from a focus on himself and his enemies in verses 1 to 7 to a focus on the Lord and his provision in verses 8 to 13. And it's so obvious, it's so clear that if we do, I'm going to sound like an English nerd here. You you ready? Okay. If you do a literal count of the nouns and pronouns, you will discover how sharp the contrast is. Now, in verses 1 to 7, 16 times, David uses the words, I, me, and my. 16 times, five times he talks about you and God, referring to the Lord. So 16 times he talks about himself, five times he talks about the Lord, and 10 times he talks about his enemies. All right, here are those numbers, 16, 5, and 10. Then there's a shift and a focus uh, in the focus and tone in verses 8 to 13. And in verses 8 to 13, he still talks about himself 14 times, but he talks about the Lord 11 times, and he talks about his enemies twice. So we go from 16, 5, and 10 to 14, 11, and 2. There's a marked shift in the first half. I've got problems, my enemies are strong, and Lord, you're kind of there. But But my enemies are strong, and I'm in turmoil, and I'm struggling. And then all of a sudden, it clicks to David. And he says, wait a second, the Lord's good. And the Lord will help me. And even though I'm in turmoil, the references to himself in verses 8 to 13 are about the Lord my God. And how God will help me. And how God will provide for me. And all of a sudden, the influence of his opposition almost disappears from 10 to 2. And I believe that's the key spiritual principle in this psalm. And it's going to be so basic and so obvious that we're going to have to fight not to just dismiss it. Here's the spiritual principle. To be effective in trusting the Lord, we have to get the focus off ourselves. To be effective in trusting the Lord, we have to get the focus of ourselves. Now, that's a very easy, logical conclusion. But there is a subtlety to our. Selfish inclination, and I use that word carefully because I don't want it to seem like we're just a bunch of creeps, but, but self is strong, and it's so inherent in our human nature, and yet for us to live by faith, self has to be removed. We've heard a number of times, right, the verse, die to self daily have to die to self daily. You have to take up your cross and follow the Lord. There's a reason why that's a daily requirement. There's a reason why we talk about it so much. It's because self is very strong and dominating and controlling. It wants its way. It has demands. It's hungry and it wants to be satiated. And we know as believers that we're dead to sin But we are told, even though you're dead to sin, you have to uh, intentionally put off the old man. And hopefully as we become more mature in the Lord, that becomes easier and easier because we know the damage that it can do. But there's still the subtlety of this focus. This focus about us. And we can so easily drift back into self-focus. And it happens so quickly sometimes that, that we... Don't notice until it's happened for a while. Let me give an example. The best example I could think of when we're praying. Have you ever been by yourself and you say, all right, I really want to get in the presence of the Lord. I really want to pray. And you get so deep into prayer that you're almost like, you know, kind of semi-conscious. And then all of a sudden your mind starts to wander and it goes off in tangents. And soon you realize that you stopped praying a couple minutes ago, Right? In fact, you may even fall asleep. Come on, anybody ever fallen asleep while they're praying? You're, they're like so deep into prayer. It's like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. What was I praying about? And you realize that maybe you got on your to do list. Because you were praying about a need, and then you thought, well, I've really got to do that. I better better take care of that. And, and, oh, wait a second, we need to have dinner tonight. What am I needing to get at the grocery store? And then maybe a song pops into your head, and you start to sing the song. And all of a sudden, you realize, I'm not anywhere close to prayer at this point. Has this ever happened to anybody else besides me? I'm not a freak, right? Right? And you're just like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, Lord, I'm so sorry. I was praying, right? Like 10 minutes ago, I was praying about something. But now I'm thinking about the Christmas presents I have to buy. Like, what what happened? And the point is, as we drift to thoughts about us and our lives and our pressures and how tired we are and how much we need an answer and et cetera, et cetera, the focus now stops being on the Lord and on his power and his sufficiency, and quickly we become not confident and content. We start to become worried. We start to wonder what's going to happen and, And now I'm back to my fears and my concerns that led us to prayer in the first place. But we're not taking it to the throne of grace. We're just kind of back into our internal state of mind. This is a battle. This is why we have to be renewed daily. We need a fresh work of the Holy Spirit every day to cleanse the destructive, negative, faithless thinking that so easily besets us. And every day we need a new mind. So we can see how important it is, right, to get in the Word every day, to be in prayer every day. Because if we don't, right, if you go, if you go six or seven days without reading the Bible, right, and and just like, oh, well, I get, to, I've been so busy, and I'm thing demand after demand, and I don't know, I I pray a little bit on my way to work, but I was, I don't know, I need, I need to get some time with the Lord. And what happens then? Quickly, we succumb to discouragement and fear and focus on everything but the lord and we we feel twinges of 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 nagging thoughts we need to trust i need to trust but the enemy convinces us that those twinges are enough rather than really taking an aggressive defense of finding security and confidence in his presence then responding with a bold faith so we need to take the steps this is the encouragement tonight we need to take the steps of strength we need to ask the spirit to renew our minds now the answer to verses one to seven the answer to this focus on ourselves and that tendency that we have is to continue to deflect back to the Lord at all times as soon as the thoughts come in about self we need to say nope I need to bounce that back to the Lord I need to focus on the greatness of the Lord. I need to trust the Lord. I need to surrender to this Lord. I need to take this to the Lord's throne of grace. This is the Lord's issue. This is the Lord's battle. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How do we do that? Let me give you four quick ways. Not going to expound on them. Let me just list them. First of all, concentrate on his character. If you're struggling to know, is the Lord faithful, is the Lord provide, go to passages that talk about the greatness of God, the holiness of God, the character of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness and patience of God. Concentrate on his character. Then second, find comfort in his promises. Over a thousand promises to believers in Scripture. You can find one. If you can't find one, Google the promises of God All right? If we want to be lazy in our study, Google the promises of God and you'll get a list. And then just have that list. And when you're like, well, I don't know if the Lord's going to provide, just go back to his promises. Go back to his promises. Third, remember all his past provisions. We've said before, it's good to make a list, right? All the times God's helped me. All the times God's been there for me. All the times God's delivered me. All the times God blessed me. Remember his provisions. And then fourth, be reassured that he has us in his hands. Whatever your situation, Ray's situation tonight, it feels desperate. It feels like there's not going to be a good ending. But Ray can find strength. Aggie can find strength. You and I can find strength that the Lord has us in the palm of his hands. He has us. He's taking care of us. And notice, when David does these four things, just insert those four things between verse 7 and verse 8. Notice how clearly it changes his thinking. Notice how clearly it changes his perspective. And that's shown by the different focus of his words. Quickly, let me walk through this. Verse 8 there's a comfort, there's, there's almost a tenderness in his statement The Lord has watched all my wanderings, He has my tears in a bottle. He has my life in this book. Verse 9, he says, I'm certain my enemies are going to be turned back because I called on the Lord for help and the Lord's with me. What a powerful truth that is. Are you glad for that tonight? That the Lord is with his people. He loves us and takes care of us. In verse 10, he says, I'm declaring that I'm praising both God and the Lord. Now, it struck me. Why does he say, I praise God and I praise the Lord? We know that he's both, right? But I think he does this intentionally. I believe he calls him God to recognize his overall sovereignty and authority and power. And then I think he calls him Lord to say, I'm accountable to him. He has leadership of my life. So as God, the God of the universe, the God of heaven, who controls all things, I praise him. But he's also my Lord, and I praise him for that. It's personal. He says in verse 11, same thing he says in verse 4, I trust the Lord, and that gives me perspective that man is impotent against the Lord. Verse 12, he says, I remember the Lord's vows to me. They're binding So I never need to be unsure or insecure that God's going to abandon me or not help me. His vows are binding. He says in verse 13, I'm confident because God saved me from death. So it's easy for him. If God can save me from eternal death, he can certainly save me from stumbling. Because he leads me in the land of the living. See, what David is doing is he's deflecting his focus toward the Lord instead of inwardly toward himself. And as he does that, his fear fades away, and his enemies are emasculated. And as a result, his perspective changes. He's filled with hope. He's filled with confidence. He says, even in the middle of this crisis, Lord, I can praise you. And this is not contrived. This is not like, well, I'm just trying to work myself up and make myself better. This is what real faith looks like. I don't know about you, but I need to have my perspective changed again and again and again. I need my focus changed again and again and again. Away from me, away from my fears, away from my issues, away from my problems. And I need to look at the Lord's grace and his goodness and his sufficiency and say, Lord, be praised. You are so faithful. You're so kind. You're so gracious. You're so sufficient. And I'm not going to live in my fear. I'm not going to live in the pain of the opposition. I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to find strength and security.